Romans chapter 4 is where we'll be centering our study for this period this morning. Good to see you. We have visitors with us. Thank you for being here. We want you to feel welcome. We're glad that you're here. In this time of our service, which lasts till about 940, we're going to have a few songs, as we already have, and uh, then study for a few minutes from a passage of Scripture here, Romans chapter 4. So I'd like to begin just by reading the first few verses here of Romans 4. Text says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I want to think with Paul for a few minutes about what he says Abraham found. Your version might have something different there in verse 1. Mine says what was gained by Abraham, but most of the versions say what did Abraham find? Abraham found something, and Paul sees it as extremely relevant to what you and I experience as Christians and how you and I relate to God today. Now, what has been happening in this part of the Bible, in this part of Romans, is that Paul has been reasoning through how faith in Jesus makes us right with God. And that can be a really technical discussion, then as it is now. One of those discussions that makes our eyes glaze over and us get kind of a headache as we think through faith and works and how all that meshes together. So what Paul does here is he gets a case study. And he says, let's talk about a man. Let's talk about a story. Let's talk about Abraham. And the thing about Abraham is, Abraham is a story everybody is cool with. Abraham is one that the Jews would accept, Gentiles would admire. Everybody says Abraham was a great man, Abraham had a lot of wonderful characteristics, and Abraham teaches us some things about how we interact with God. Abraham found something, Paul says, and it's something that will connect directly to us and bless our lives. So let's think about it for a few minutes this morning. Now, the context of this is that Paul has been up to this point in Romans talking about how everybody has sinned. Both Jew and Gentile, all are guilty, and because of that, All of us need a new way to be right with God. Now, Gentiles sinned without having any kind of law. Jews sinned by violating the law they were given. But all of us ended up in the same place. So like Romans 3 and verse 9 says, Romans 3 and verse 9, What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And we're probably all familiar with verse 23 where he talks about all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Everybody is guilty before God. So we needed a new path, a new way to be righteous before God. And he says that is something that Jesus provides for us. We can now be right based on faith in Jesus. And that changes some things. When you move from a law system in which everybody was guilty now to a system of grace, it means, like in chapter 3 and verse 27, that there is no more boasting, It means it's not our doing. It is a gift. It is grace. It also means that Gentiles are allowed to, since it's something that's outside the law. So in verse 29 and 30 of chapter 3, he says that, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? So now everybody can be reconciled to God by grace through faith. So both of those things are going to matter for where we're headed as we talk about Abraham. Let's talk. The first thing I want you to see that Abraham found is that Faith is what God counts as righteousness. We're going to read through the first eight verses here. So let's just begin in verse 1 of Romans 4. It says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? 
Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So what did Abraham find? The truth is, Abraham found God's favor. But the question is, and the one Paul is going to pursue, is how did he find God's favor? Was he favorable to God because he was just so great that God had to say, you know what, you're the best guy there is, you're perfect, I'll make you righteous. No. In fact, in verse 2, Paul specifies if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. The reason is, if he had worked his way to perfection, he would be able to say, look what I did. He could boast in himself. But that's not the way Abraham's righteousness worked. It was not based on works. It was not something where he saved himself. Instead, look at verse 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is quoting here from a pivotal verse in Genesis chapter 15. I've Put a picture here. It doesn't show up very well. This is a picture of a man in the desert with the stars. This is when God is reassuring Abraham that I really am going to bless you. I really am going to make you a great nation. And he says, look at the stars. Count them if you can. So shall your descendants be. And it says Abraham, actually Abram, believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed that promise. He did not have children. He had no real direction in which he could see pursuing children. And yet, he believed God. And the text, the reason Paul brings this up is important because it says there in verse 3, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That word counted is important. And I put it here, it's what God counts as righteousness. It is a word that means to reckon for someone, to credit for someone, to account to someone. So you picture the financial dis, uh, angle of this word where he is saying, this is something that is credited to his account as if it's righteousness. And I want to make this clear. Faith is not righteousness. Faith is believing something. Righteousness is when you are perfect and you fulfill all the law's requirements. But God took Abraham's faith, he believed God in this moment, and he made it as if it were righteousness. He counted it as righteousness. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you right even though you're not, because you believe me. That's what Paul is saying, that the scripture says long before the law about Abraham and what Abraham found. Look at verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So here is the one who works to be justified. I'm going to be right because I'm good enough. I've done enough. He does not receive God's favor as a gift. We don't do that, right? When we go to work and we work so many hours and then we go get a paycheck, we don't say, thank you so much for this generous gift. No, we we deserve it. We earned it. It's ours. But Abraham received something as a gift. It is counted as something that it is not because God gave him that as a gift. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So he says, this is the way we go do it now. If we are no longer seeking salvation by our own perfection and goodness, and we instead trust God and receive God's salvation as a gift, our faith is counted as righteousness. God counts it as if it's something it is not. 
So Abraham, please hear me, is not saved because he's a great man. He's not saved because he's good enough. He is saved because he believes, and God counts that as righteousness. So you got Abraham, and Paul has another Old Testament example that he's going to use to seal the deal here. Look at verse 6. In verse 6 he says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So somebody God declares as righteous even though they're not. David is an example. Verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. See, David is like this too. This is Psalm 32. For those men who are in our Thursday morning study at Panera, we just worked through Psalm 32. And it is a psalm in which David has sinned and he tries to kind of keep it quiet and cover it up. And it's hard for him. He says, day and night your hand was heavy on me. Finally, I just confessed my sin. And then he writes the psalm. It's a psalm of relief and joy. Have you ever had a great burden and then you finally had it lifted and you just want to sing, you just want to say, wow, I feel so much better? That's what these verses are. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. I don't have to carry that around anymore. My sin is covered. I'm free from that. So how did David get there? See, that is not the language of salvation by perfection. That's the language of salvation by grace. It uses words like forgiven or covered, where God has done something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. I had sin, but God took it away. God forgave it. God does not count it against me as sin. Instead, he counts me as righteous. So David is another example of how God in the past was gracious to those who believed in him. So what do we make of this? I I, want to leave this section in just a second, but I don't want to leave it without making some, some thoughts, some things that are applicable to us from it. First of all, Abraham shows us that faith is the most important thing to God. Faith is a bigger deal to God than perfection. It is a bigger deal to God that we believe than that we be perfect. And in fact, Abraham shows us that of those two paths, being saved by perfection is is a dead end. We're not going to be able to get there, but being saved by faith that God counts as righteousness is what we're going for. Now, when we talk about things like this, it seems to me almost instinctive, like we have to start talking about, now, wait a minute, this doesn't mean this. We talk about Calvinistic abuses. I think it's obvious that faith is going to have some outgrowths in terms of works. We're not just going to believe and not do anything. Abraham is not an example of that. Abraham obeys because he believes. But that's not the point this section is making. It's not really talking about obedience. He is simply saying what God is looking for is a faith that trusts him when everything else is moving against what God is saying. We believe him and we trust that he can save us and that he can do things for us that we can't do for ourselves. What Abraham found and what David found too is that every single one of us has a past that is full of shame and sin and that if we want to be free from that, we need God's grace. We cannot pursue God by our own perfection because we're not perfect and we all know it. There has to be a different path. So for us, it becomes the question, do we really believe that God sent his son to die for our sins and raised him from the dead? Do we really believe that we have hope through him, that we could be forgiven through him? Do we really believe? That's the key question. And when we believe, of course, we're going to do what God says, but the, the faith is the key. Because faith is what God counts 
as righteousness. I especially want to say, it seems to me that sometimes we get into this mentality, and some of us are perfectionists by, by uh, personality, and it bothers us tremendously if we ever say, you know, I'm not perfect or I didn't do this perfectly. Notice that there is a different path here. This is never about us doing it perfectly. It is about us trusting God and doing our best to follow Him and needing His grace in order to be saved. So, even when we obey to the hilt, these verses are saying, God is interested in our obedience because it reveals our faith. Faith is what matters to God. Faith is what God counts as righteousness. Now, second section. Abraham finds that faith is what makes us Abraham's children. So he is going to have children, but in a different way than the text originally intended. Look in verse 9. Romans 4 and verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's, let's take a minute with that. I know you got the word circumcised a whole bunch of times there. It can kind of make your eyes gloss over. So the question here is if we've got this idea that God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness, then the question he now asks is, well, on what basis or at what time? Is this about circumcision or uncircumcision? Now, you can hear what he is asking is, is Abraham a picture of the Jew or the Gentile? Which one is he? And then he answers that question with a little bit of Bible trivia. So verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Now, this is Bible trivia. Okay? When was Genesis 15 when he made that promise that we've just talked about? And when was circumcision? Well, Genesis 15 is the promise. Genesis 17 is circumcision. So which one is it? He was given the promise. His faith was counted as righteousness before he was ever circumcised. So that's why he says that there at the end of verse 10. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he says that whole idea of circumcision pointed backward to what had already happened. He has already been declared righteousness, and circumcision just goes on top of that and shows that. It is just a seal of that. Why? End of verse 11 says, The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So the goal, the goal was to collect a people, Jew and Gentile, who believed like Abraham. Gentiles who believed like Abraham, because he was a Gentile, so to speak, when he believed. And Jews who are connected to him by their bloodline, but by more than their bloodline, by their faith line, going back to him, that says, I follow the footsteps of his faith. I'm not just circumcised like he was, I believe like he did. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. 
That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So he says in verse 13, verse 13 talks about the promise, the promise to Abraham and to his descendants. And I think this is the promise, the, uh, in your nation, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, that promise. He says that promise did not come through the law. All right, you ready? Let's play Bible trivia again. All right, so when was the promise made? That was Genesis 15. When was the law given? Well, that middle part of Exodus, right? So which was first? Well, the promise was first. The law was much later. In fact, he says this in Galatians. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So you can't make a promise and then say 430 years later, oh, yeah, now you got to do this to get the promise. Okay, you can't change it. And so he says, so what that means is you don't inherit the promise by keeping the law. The law is much later, and it really is independent of the promise. So if the heirs of the promise are based on law, there's no need for faith, right? You just keep the law. You don't have to believe like Abraham. And that is what many Jews believed in the time of Paul. They believed, no, I'm going to be a part of God's chosen people. I'm a child of Abraham just because I've got his blood in my veins. I'm a descendant of Abraham. And from John the Baptist and Jesus on, the message of God is, that's not interesting me. I want you to believe like Abraham if you want to be my people. So look at verse 16 now. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. See, there's something far bigger here. Paul is saying something that is staggering. He is saying, when God told Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, what he meant was not just I'm going to have a lot of people that are going to come from your descendants. He is saying, I'm going to make you the father of a people who come from many nations and who share your faith. Paul is saying God had a bigger plan that had to do with bringing Jew and Gentile together under Abraham through the faith of Abraham. So I have made you the father of many nations. It means I'm going to collect a people from many nations and you're the father of of them all. You know what the irony of that is? When God made that statement to Abraham, he didn't have any kids. And yet I'm going to make you, I have made you, the father of many nations. All right, so let's process that for a minute. Faith is what makes us Abraham's children. When John the Baptist comes preaching, he says, don't think to yourselves, we're Abraham's children. God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Jesus says, many will come from east and west and sit down at table in the kingdom of God while the children of the kingdom will be cast out. Jesus says, the kingdom will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Over and over again, Jesus challenges the idea that Jews are right with God just because of their heritage, independent of their faith and their lives. And now Paul says the reason for that was God was always trying to create a people from Abraham who believed like Abraham, a people of faith. 
And so he says, whether those are Jews or Gentiles, God has been preparing the way to collect that people. And that has begun in the gospel. So that now, you and I, whether we're Jew or Gentile, whatever we are, we are united not by our bloodlines and not by our heritage. We are united by our faith. This is what makes us connected to Abraham, a people who believe like him. So what we're saying here is it is faith, not circumcision, that makes us Abraham's children. Can I make a, uh, an application of that to you and me today? What that means for you and me, we, we probably don't struggle in the same way with the Jew-Gentile type distinction. But I will say, we do struggle with the same mentality that Jews had in Jesus' day, which is to say, because of who I am and where I come from, I deserve respect and I have a certain standing before God. I mean, my daddy was a preacher and my granddaddy was an elder. I've been in the church umpteen years. I was baptized way back when by brother so-and-so. This is who I am and you give me respect to me. Instead of it being something where we say it is faith that matters and the life that springs from that faith. I don't mean to say that we don't have a right to say, you know, I'm I'm thankful that I was raised by people who were Christians or that I have a heritage in the gospel. I don't mean that. I mean to say, we need to beware thinking that there is something about us that makes us great. We need to see what God sees. Do we have faith or not? That is the key distinction. That is what makes us Abraham's children. And God, as the saying goes, God doesn't have grandchildren. God has children, and we only come to that point where we have a relationship with God when we come to that point, not when we do it through our parents or do it for our children. All right, we need to finish up this chapter. Let's talk about how faith is what gives us hope. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Paul points out the fascinating language. Did you catch it? I have made you the father of many nations. It had not happened yet, and God talks in the past tense. It's already happened, because when God says it, it's as good as done. I have made you the father of many nations. And it says, this is a way that he calls into existence things that don't exist, at least not yet. Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. In hope, it says, he believed against hope. I think the idea here is he believed what he had no right to even hope for. Something that, you know, in a reasonable mind, you would say, I don't expect this to ever happen. No hope in that sense. And yet he believed it against hope. So what God had promised was against hope, and Abraham believed the promise and believed and hoped anyway. So he thought about how God had taken him out and shown him the stars of heaven and said, so shall your offspring be. Then he looked around. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So he looks at his body. He looks at Sarah's body. They were both older. They're past the time of childbearing. We have our medical terms for that, but let's just say it's an impossibility. Yet he did not, what he says, Paul says is, he did not weaken in faith. 
Okay, so looking around at, well, here's what we got, did not stop him from believing. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he had received a promise from God, so he just refused to waver, and he grew strong in his faith. He believed it more and more and more. I think there is a beautiful kind of naivete to Abraham's faith here, that that the, the harder it gets and the longer it goes, the more he believes, more and more and more he believes. This is definitely going to happen. But I want to ask the question, what gave Abraham this level of faith? What was he thinking? Paul gives us a hint, verse 21. In verse 21, he says, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You see, when you believe in God, you don't have to figure out how is God going to do it. Well, I know why I can believe because God, God, he can do this and he can do this and he can do this. No, it's so open-ended because it's God. Nothing is impossible with God. God can do whatever he wants. And if God decides he wants to do this, then God's going to get it done. Even later, Abraham is willing to obey God by sacrificing this very son he waited so long to have. And you know, I I meant to put it on the board, but I just have it here in my notes. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19 talks about Abraham and what he was thinking in that moment. It says, he considered that God was able even to raise him, meaning Isaac, even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God is able to raise him from the dead. If you want me, you want to give me this son and then you want me to kill him, I know you can bring him back. You can do whatever you want to do. That is the faith Abraham shows. So it is not a faith that says, well, I understand everything. I know exactly what God will do. It is instead a faith that says, God said it. I know that he can do it. I don't have to know the details. God will make it work. And Abraham trusted God. Verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Paul says, and he's come full circle, this whole passage where God said, Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness, that wasn't just for him. That was for you and me. So that we can read and understand and believe and our faith is counted as righteousness. Our faith is deeper than Abraham's in the sense that we know more and we have a fuller picture of God's purposes and we understand that God has sent his son and we can see the resurrection of the dead and the hope that we have for resurrection from the dead. And yet Abraham shows us the power of faith so that faith gives us hope in spite of circumstances that look awful. It is one thing to believe a series of propositions about God. God does this, God is this. It is another thing to do what Abraham did and just fully put yourself and your family in God's hands. And he did it over and over again. Abraham, get out of your country to a land that I'll show you. And off he goes. Abraham, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And he believed God. Abraham, take your son, sacrifice him. And he obeyed God over and over again. Because Abraham believed Even when I have to do strange and difficult things, God can make it work. I believe in God, and that gives me hope, even when things don't look very promising physically. Faith is what gives us hope. God will take care of it. God is able. He will do it how he wants. I just trust him. 
And I want to press us that we need to be developing Abraham-style faith like that. Kind of faith that trusts God to handle things that we can't see and we don't understand how it's going to work out. And we are tempted toward pessimism because we say, you know, I really don't see how this could happen. And yet we trust God and believe and have hope anyway. We need a faith that approaches death, our own death, with confidence. That even though I don't fully understand everything that's going to happen when I die, he can take care of it. We need faith that obeys God's voice. Even though the world may be telling us that's not that important, that's not that big a deal, you can do your own thing. We trust and we listen for his voice. We need faith that is more than a church commitment. It's not about, well, I just need to come to church. But a faith that walks with God throughout the week and encompasses every part of our lives. And what Abraham found is that when you believe God like that, God is pleased and God will save you and God will bless you and God will use you. And that's what I want us to find. I appreciate your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.